They are. They're, I, I pay them a little extra on Sundays. Um, that uh, All the music today has just been so good, and I really appreciate you guys who are on the worship team. That first song that we did, I don't know if you got to be in the room when we did that. I hope you were. If not, go back and check that out online because uh, that's really the heart of what this message and this whole series is about. Because, you know, sometimes there's a gap, at least in my life, between where I am, how I see myself, and where I think, you know, how I, how I look in the mirror. You know, that kind of, that. This is, this is, you know, being objective. And that gap between that and who I want to be, who I see in my dreams and where I feel like God could, could take me and what he wants to do in and through my life. And sometimes that gap just seems huge. It seems insurmountable. You know, it's, it's like this great divide. For some of you in areas of your life, you think, well, it's just in a little gap. You know, I just need to lose five pounds. It's just so small. But then for me, sometimes the gap is, is, a, is a bigger thing. Getting from here to there is your vision. It's where God wants to to take you from from one place to another. And along the way, what what he often does, because it just seems overwhelming, it seems impossible. When I first started education, um, and my parents, you know, I love my dad, and sometimes I think my generation, particularly probably all of us, it's just blame mom and dad. (laughs) It's their fault. Blame everything on mommy and daddy. Uh, And so I do. Uh, even now, and it's okay, even after you're grown, you can get 30, 40, 50 years old, just keep blaming mom and daddy. Don't take any responsibility for your own actions. Uh, anyway, they weren't real keen, you know, about me going to school and thinking, well, you know, I don't know about that. And um, the whole reasons, we just had a real disagreement about the future and what that ought to look like. But God had given me a vision for ministry which had been totally off the chart, not on the radar at all. And so my dad said, well, I'm not paying a nickel. And he kept his word. He didn't. <laughs> From that moment all the way through seminary, I mean, he, he never paid anything. And, and I never asked him. We both were stuck. We both bowed up about it, you know. And I'm like, well, that's fine because me and God, I got all spiritual on him, you know. I went Bible. I said, you know what, we're going to do it in God. And I almost starved to death. <laughs> now, God met my needs, but I was not going to ask him for a nickel, and he wasn't going to give me one. So you know what? That divide, that empty place there was the vision, was the vision that God had given me and the story, the testimony that unfolds in between one place and the other is what God wants to do. Because when he gives you a vision, he's going to begin to unfold a map in front of you. Now, I mentioned this last week. I mentioned the analogy, and I've built this whole series uh, in partnership with a friend who gave me this idea around the idea of a map and your vision in a map. Now, like you, nine times out of ten, when I want to get somewhere, whether it's to your house or across the country, I'm going to pull out my phone, and I'm just going to ask whoever it is in there, you know, how do I get there? And they just tell it's so cool. They go, well... Here's how you get there, and we're going to tell you step by step. Every and it's just oh, not step by step, but you know, if I want to step, so that's mostly how I do it. Recently, I went to see my sister, 
who lives in Missouri, in nowhere, Missouri. Um, actually, she lives in outside of Cape Girardeau. I had never been to Cape Girardeau. I didn't know how to get there, but I knew I've been to West Tennessee because that's where I'm from. And I think, okay, I can get from there and I cut up. I'm like a pioneer. I don't, I don't need, you know, I just think, I think I go kind of northwest here. And so that's what I did. I just followed my instinct, which was pretty terrible. And I'm out in the middle of nowhere, USA. So I stopped and... You know what? I, because I'm asking this, and they're like, "We don't know where you are. It's not. It's not in here. You're. You've gone to another time." So I stopped, and I got one of these. Now I mentioned this to you last week, and I'm I'm looking at these guys because I wanted you to see this because you probably never have. This is is a paper map. It's a lot like what you've got in your pocket. It's kind of the same thing, but it's made of paper and it doesn't talk or anything but what you have to do is you you put it out like this this one is of the great state of tennessee oh go falls and 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 you look on it and you find places and it's got all this it's got like it's not really like pictures but it's all the cities and the roads that connect these cities this is what people used to do um to get from one place to the other. And this is kind of the way that God will lead you. Now, I wish <laughs> so many times that God would do it like this. Lord, what is your will for my life and how do I get there? Go 400 feet and turn left on Kingston Pike, you know. <laughs> Except she would say Kingston peak, or, you know, because she never kind of gets it, and she doesn't really get my, I don't even have an accent. I don't know why that's so hard. Um, God just doesn't seem to do it like that. He goes, no, here's, here's the way we're going to do it. I'm just going to unfold this in front of you and walk with you. I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to take you there. That's vision, and, and what occurs as he unfolds that is my story. My story and how it connects with God's story. And I realized it was his uh, all along. The people of Judah and the city of Jerusalem were in a terrible condition and situation. Over 150 years earlier, Nebuchadnezzar, um, who was a king, and the armies of Babylon had invaded Israel and uh, had carried away most of the people as slaves. The Jews desperately needed someone who had a vision to restore Jerusalem and Israel to the way it, it was. Everything was just devastated and rubble. And, and you've seen it, right? You've seen the videos. It's happening now in cities that are just destroyed and where there's just rubble and buildings are broken and uh, you know and it's just this this picture of defeat they needed somebody who was different somebody who had hope somebody whose heart had been captured by God and they were just set on fire by his spirit they needed a person of vision who could see past the moment and I relate to this because sometimes I can't see past where I am. You ever get like that? 
All you can see is, this just happened. Or this is the way it is. And we don't know how, how to move forward. Well, God raised up such a man. His name was Nehemiah. And he's here today. <laughs> it's another Nehemiah. Uh, and he was being prepared by God as a vessel to be used in, a, in, a, in an extraordinary way to rebuild the city, especially the walls surrounding the city, because that's really what the whole city was about, and to bring restoration through that to the nation of Israel. Sometimes what God's going to lead you to do and give you a vision for, it's, it's going to be that specific thing. Because when you look at this, you think, I'm building a wall. How does a wall figure in? How is that such a big deal in the kingdom of God? I've been on a lot of mission trips where I've painted walls, I've built a sidewalk, I dug a ditch for a water line. We put, I mean, you think, Lord, I traveled all the way here and I'm using vacation time and I saved up money and I'm digging a ditch. I think Nehemiah must have felt that way sometimes. God, you've put this vision in my heart to build a wall, but it's always, check it out, it's always connected to something bigger and deeper and stronger and longer lasting that that God is doing I'm just building a wall but that's the vision that he gave Nehemiah now you and I are thousands of years removed from the time of Nehemiah but we also live in a nation and in a time in a city Maybe you go to a university or a high school. You work in a company. I live in a neighborhood that desperately needs people of vision. I want to read to you how this started and where it began. It's in Nehemiah, um, which is a tricky book to find. So if you want to pretend to turn to it and just stop, Nobody will know around you. If you really want to show off that you've been going to church your whole life, just go right to it. If you don't care and think, I don't even have a Bible, then that's okay. We're going to put it up here for you. It says this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hasaliah. Now it happened in the month of Sheslev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night 
for the people of Israel are servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I, in my father's house, I've sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was a cupbearer to the king. Everyone has a vision. Because a vision is simply a picture of what the future could look like. Your personal vision, uh, start with a burden to accomplish God's purposes and plans for your life. It may be a big vision something that just seems incredible. And even as it comes to your mind and your heart and you think it, there's another voice that goes, yeah, that's, are you cra- that's for somebody else. That's not for you. Stop. But then the first voice waits till that one kind of calms down and quiets. And then it just whispers it to you again. Some of you may be hearing that voice, seeing that vision right now. For some, it's a smaller vision. It's a part and a piece of something bigger that God's going to do. When I was a college student, we were involved in an inner city ministry in Jackson, Tennessee, and we go into this housing project, very much like where I grew up in North Memphis. And so I was very comfortable there. A couple of my friends, not so much. Uh, but we had this, uh, this, this group of, uh, it's mostly kids and some uh, high schoolers and, and students. And, and we would go every week and we'd meet with them. We're trying to teach the Bible and we're trying to do things. Basically, our vision, our big vision is to win this city for Christ, you know, and to win this neighborhood and this community uh, to Jesus and to give them a chance at a completely different life. Um, So one of the things that God began to put on my heart, because I noticed one afternoon we were there that nobody had a Bible. And just kind of in an offhand way, I asked a question. Hey, how many of you have a Bible at home? It's like two or three hands went up. I started counting these kids, and I I told my roommate, these kids need a Bible. They need a Bible in their house. Because, see, I grew up in a house, and there was no Bible. And so when I began to get interested in, in spiritual things, I started looking around in my house trying to find a Bible, and I couldn't find one. Finally, in the hall closet, up on a shelf, I found a New Living uh, 
Bible, translation, it was one of those, back in my generation, those of you old as me, it's this green padded Bible. Do you remember that? With the go- It's like you could choke a horse. I mean, this was the word of God, except it was new living, uh, which was, you know, kind of loosey-goosey. But anyway, it's this huge Bible, and it was so, I mean, it was real, you could use it for a pillow. You got tired of reading, you could go, oh, I'm just going to lie down for a little while here. You know, but I started reading that thing, and that was my Bible. And later, a youth group took up money and gave me a Bible, and that was my first one. And then I started dating Kathy, and she gave me a Bible, so now I had three Bibles, you know, and... It hadn't stopped. Now I've got like 120 Bibles, and I feel really convicted as I'm saying that about this, to have so many Bibles. But those kids didn't have one. So my vision. You see, you see how you think, are all those kids getting a Bible going to be the answer to all the world's problems? No, but that was the vision that God put on my heart. And it seemed impossible because we were so broke. I mean, we couldn't even afford Bibles for ourselves. You know, there was no way we could go down to the Christian bookstore and buy all these kids. You know, we're going to buy them all a Bible and just hand them out. So we just began to pray, God, you've put on our, you've given us a vision. Now, long story short, we gave every child there a Bible by the next week. And we didn't spend one penny. We didn't go out and buy one Bible. God provided. And here's the coolest thing. There was not like, oh, we only have enough for this many, and we, oh, we left out one. One child's not going to get one. We're going to bring you one. Or, well, we got one Bible left over. Now, you know what? We, t- we, we showed up that day with two boxes, and we handed them all out. The boxes were empty. Every child had one. There was not one left over. Boom. That's so God, isn't it? You know? Now, two weeks later, I'm teaching. I shared this with somebody this morning. I'm teaching some guys, and they've all got their new little Bibles out. And we're sitting outside, one guy, no joke, he tears a page out of the Bible that I had prayed for. My vision was to give him a Bible. He tears a page out of it. He pours marijuana in it, rolls it up, and smokes the Bible. That really happened. Yeah, and I'm like, Lord, I don't think that's a part of your why you the vision for me to do this. But you see... It wasn't important that that was the whole thing. And somebody think, did that really happen? That really happened. Um, but the vision was to give them a Bible. No, not all of them did that, okay? That's just a cool, not just, really not a cool part of the story. <laughs> That's not cool. That is not cool. Say no, drugs. Okay. Um, we're just going to start all over. All right. Um, God gives you a Bible. It's a picture of what the future is going to look like, and it may be big, and it may be connected to something, it may be small, but God's going to show you a need. And then he's going to place in your heart a desire to meet that need. And you're not going to have to work it up. You're not going to have to think about it. It's just going to come to you. You're going to start thinking about it. It's like the first time I ever sponsored a child through Compassion International. I just began to see the face. And I just began to see. And God began to say, well, you can't do 10 children. You can't save 20 children. You can't build orphanages. But you know what? This one, this one little boy, Hector Molina, and then Muka Masone Beatrice, and, and the, you can make a difference in this child's life. So a vision is born. Nehemiah felt this burden to rebuild the wall. He thought about it every day. Whatever he was doing, 
whatever he was, he was walking from the palace over to the kitchen and he's doing this and he's doing, and he's thinking about, and at the end of the day, he goes home and as he's getting ready for bed, he starts thinking about that wall. And he's thinking, you know, if we did it like this, and he just can't get it out of his head. God's given some of you a vision. If you have a burden to meet a God-given need, then you have a vision. And it may seem impossible. It may seem far-fetched. That's okay. Don't worry about that for now. Don't get tripped up about that. Don't, don't get freaked out about, hi, this is so big, there's no way. We're going to talk about that later. We'll, talk, we'll start talking about it next week. Okay, so don't miss next week. Don't worry about that part. Just get the vision. There's one guy I've really admired in history, and he had a huge vision. Um, his name was William Wilberforce. And he was an amazing guy. And on October 28th, 1787, if you're taking notes, you need because you need, there will be a test, and I'm going to ask that date. October 28th, 1787, he wrote this great one-liner, and it became his vision. Listen to this. God Almighty has set before me two objectives, the suppression of slavery and the reformation of morals. I love that. That's all he wrote. I mean, you may have a vision to get out of debt so you can give more. You may have a vision. You may be a mom or a dad, and you say, I want to raise great kids who love Jesus and love other people in this crazy world when that's becoming a rare, a rare person. You may want to get free of an addiction that's holding you back. You may want to start a ministry to a specific group of people. You're the person. You've got a vision. Like me at Nehemiah, though, you need to get really clear uh, about the vision that God's placed in your life. Here's what Nehemiah said. Later... You know, he had this vision, and he's thinking about it. And one day, he's a cupbearer, which means he tastes everything, makes sure it's not poisoned. A little bit of a risky job, but, you know, it goes through all these security measures. So, you know, he's kind of okay. He lives in the palace. He's got kind of a cushy life. And so he's, he's standing there one day, and he's just keep thinking about this, this wall and these people, and he just can't get that out of his head. And the king notices, and he says, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you today? You seem sad. Are you seem are you sick? He goes, No, no, I'm okay. I'm I'm not sick. It's nothing like that. I'm just sad. My heart's broken. Well, what is it? It's my people. The city where I grew up has been devastated because of the war and it was never rebuilt. The walls are all broken down. The gates have been burned. That's all I can think about. The king says, well, what do you want to do? Now, here's the definition. Here's the vision. All Nehemiah says is, I want to rebuild the wall. Can I go do that? If I can let so how long would you be gone? And then Nehemiah says, I laid out my plan before the king. You see, he had already been thinking about this so much. It had been in his daydreams, and, not, and he's kind of sketched out this idea. He goes, well, you know, I've kind of been thinking about this, and here's what I'd like to do. And so he begins to fill in details. But the big idea, I just want to rebuild that wall. 
I'll be gone for this long and it'll take this much. And I'm going to need you to write me some letters to get me through the checkpoints, you know. And if you could help me and do that, then I just want to rebuild the wall. That was his vision. Here's the thing about your vision. It needs to be clear. It needs to be concise and specific. And you need to write it down. Absolutely free of charge, we have provided for you this handy piece of paper. (laughs) You can use this if you don't tap it into your device or you don't have a journal or a notebook. You need to write it down. Now, I have some big visions. I have some small visions. It kind of came down to ten things, a decalogue for me. And these ten things that became like a vision for who I felt like God wanted me to be became like a personal constitution. It became my declaration of independence, my declaration of God's man in my life. So they're in my journal. You need to write it down. Habakkuk 2.2 says this, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Write it. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So you need to get a blank sheet of paper, a whiteboard, or something, and begin to write it down. And as you do, it may come the very first time. You may say, I know right now. Dan, before you finish this message, I already know my vision. Boom, I've got it. For some of you, you may write it down and go, it's not exactly it. You may scratch and you may delete, and and you're just going to keep hammering and and working at it, and and the vision is going to emerge into a nice, clean, neat sentence. Create something that you can run with that's visible. I love great, simple vision and mission statements. And I really like William Wilberforce's declaration because it's so clear and so concise. And did you know that after he wrote his vision statement out, he went to work. He got really proactive about this. And it's what we remember him for all these years later. And here's the cool thing. 46 years after he wrote that sentence in his journal, three days before he died, slavery was abolished all throughout the British Empire. He got to see this impossible vision become reality. I did a little research because I get interested. I'm kind of geeky about stuff like that this week. And and I noticed that some of the greatest companies that we're familiar with and nonprofits and ministries have so many different things they're doing. I mean, they're all over the place and don't have a lot, you know, that they would say, yeah, but here's one thing they all, all, every one of them had in common. Clear, concise, focused vision statements. Organizations like Apple, Whole Foods, McDonald's, Amazon, Facebook, Tesla, Costco, Google, Nike, Toyota, Ford, Starbucks, Harley-Davidson, Coke, Patagonia, Ikea, American Express, Make-A-Wish, 
Smithsonian, In Touch Ministries, World Vision, Charity Water, Alzheimer's Association, Habitat for Humanity, Ronald McDonald House. I could keep going on and on and on. So different. They all had this in common. At one place, at the beginning of their history, there was a man or a woman who had a vision. And they, they pulled that down to one sentence. And they started forward. My prayer is that God will give some of you, all of us, a sentence, a vision. I went to McDonald's this week for the first time in a long time, <laughs> and I enjoyed it. I went with my little friend Jacob, and while I was there, I picked up this little brochure, um, and it just says this. The simpler, the better. En español, entre más, sincero mejor. The simpler, the better. Leonardo da Vinci said simple is the ultimate sophistication so keep it simple we need to be people of vision write it down what could be the result of you pursuing the vision that God gave you few years ago, I met one of the guys who helped start Charity Water at an event. He said, I was in a village one day, and I realized most of the sickness and the disease and the poverty and everything related to clean drinking water. And I have been in those villages. I was in a village in Haiti that had one pipe coming up out of the ground, and when you turned it on, this muddy yellow water came out and everybody's filling up these these old jugs and buckets with that water and uh, someone offered me a drink and I go no you know I'm I'm good I'm really not thirsty just because we've been out here in 110 degrees all day but I'm fine (laughs) I'm not drinking that is there water that was all it took for him to get a vision what would be the result I believe that some of you change the world and make this a better place. God wants to give you a vision for every area of your life. Now, when you get a vision, it's going to be unique, and that unique vision is going to create unique problems. Remember the gap that I talked about from here to there? There are going to be problems. There's going to be things to resolve and figure out along the way, and that becomes your testimony, your story, and that's what gives God the glory is how in between he did some incredible things it becomes the text of your message Ephesians 2.10 says for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that's why you're here which God has prepared beforehand he's already got an idea that we should walk in them God's prepared it. God gives birth to the idea. And all we do is just walk within that in Christ. Now, I know we're thousands of years removed from Nehemiah. But we're those people of vision. 
Nehemiah, as the cupbearer, had a life of, of peace and he was prosperous. He had political connections. Uh, his job's just to be there and to do this and, you know, to taste the food and to make sure everything's okay. I mean, it was, can you imagine just a life of serenity? Would you like to have a job where you eat for a living? I was in Latin America last year, and a friend said, hey, I want to take you to a place where they roast and grind and taste all this coffee. And I went into a room, and there's all these small tables, and all these people are just sitting around drinking coffee. And I said, what are they doing? He goes, well, they're just tasting the coffee and making sure it's okay. I think, well, what do you got to do to work here? <laughs> that was Nehemiah's life until he started building the wall. And then things got crazy. And he had so many problems. And the Bible tells us that as they're building this wall and as they're working on it, it said every man kept his sword close by because you didn't know when you're going to get attacked. So you've got a shovel in one hand or a pickaxe and you're watching over your shoulder because you might be attacked and you've got to grab a weapon. He never had to do that before. He's a cupbearer. Can you imagine the king saying, Nehemiah, you don't know anything about building walls. <laughs> you're not an architect. You're not a builder. You're not a contractor. You don't... You've been tasting, you're a professional eater. <laughs> you drink wine all day. That's what you, I know, I know, I, I don't know anything about building walls. I've never built a wall in my life. But King, God has given me this vision. He's put this on my heart. I want to build that wall. His peace and his serenity and his comfort was just shattered by this one visit from one of his brothers who happened to be in town and said, I need to tell you what kind of news report, what's going on back home. It's not so good. This is how God forms people of vision. He knows how to stir up our hearts and our nests and our comfortable places where we've become complacent. I think that's happened in some of you. I think that's happened in some ways in our church. God knows how to get into our hearts and our minds with the things that truly matter. For Nehemiah, he just asked an innocent question. How are things going back home? He had no idea what was about. The whole course and destiny of his life is about to change. And when he hears this response from his brother, it brings him to his knees, and that becomes all he can think about. The news from Jerusalem was God's call to Nehemiah to become involved in what God wanted to do. It'll come in big ways. It'll come in small ways. Do you remember a few years ago, the tsunami that came through the coast of Japan and the, the devastation and the earthquake and all of that? I was looking at the paper one day, and it was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. There was a picture of a mother, and her head was pointed up, and her face was in agony. And the photographer, how he captured this image, and her mouth was open, and tears were rolling down her face, and she was holding the lifeless body of a little girl. 
in her arms. When I saw that, I was just mesmerized. I thought, she lives on the other side of the world, and I'm a pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I, yeah. But something about that just captured me. And I began to pray for her. That morning, I put my hand on the newspaper and I said, Oh God, I don't know this woman. I don't know her faith or her religion. or I don't know anything about her. All I know is that she's just lost her little girl. And her heart is as broken as mine would be. And it transcends culture and race and economics and language. And God began to give me a vision of prayer and how to see that some of those prayers can even be facilitated. I don't know what your vision's going to be. Some will be maybe temporary. I mean, it didn't take forever to build that wall, right? He finally, maybe eventually, it got built. but it's connected to something deeper. And you've got different ways that you can respond. Like Isaiah, who responded eagerly when God gave him a vision and he, and he ran towards God. Or you may be like Jonah, who God gave a vision to. And what did he do? He ran away from God, just the opposite way. Some may be like Moses who see the vision and try to take matters into their own hands and I'll just do this job myself and don't worry about it, God, I got this. And he didn't didn't pray, he didn't seek the Lord and what do I do next? And when all that fails, it brings us back to this place where we just have to wait on God for him to fill us and to anoint us so that the job gets done in the right way, so that it's Jesus in me, not me for him. World of difference. Just remember, God knows how to get your attention. And he will. And when he stirs up your nest and he places a burden on your heart, do not hesitate. Begin to lean into that and go with him whatever he calls you to do. He's got a great plan, and nothing is greater than being allowed to be in on that plan. Yesterday, we had a really unpleasant event to happen at Montgomery Village in our, in our, men, in our soccer ministry to the kids there. And it got out of control, and it got out of hand. And when I found out about it, I was disturbed, and I was concerned, and Daniel was upset, and his team, and... And I began to, you know, part of my flesh thought, you know what, if they, you know, you don't appreciate this or whatever, then, you know, we're just going to, but then God began to say, but what about the vision? You grew up in a neighborhood a lot like that. And your vision to see kids and to see families know Jesus and to break those generational patterns and ties and habits and lifestyle and give them a different chance in the world going to be problems. And I'll be honest with you, we hadn't figured that out. We're still kind of reeling. But some of you, God's going to lay a vision on your heart and you're going to say, you know what? Because you know, I didn't grow up with soccer. I refused to even recognize it as a sport until college, okay? 
because it competed with baseball. I mean, and I know, I was real snobby about it. And God, has, I've repented. He's changed my heart. But I don't know anything about it, how to coach it, how to discipline kids. How to inc- Some of you do. Some of you think, you know what? I don't. I have no clue. But when you say that, something's happening in me. And I want to be a part of that ministry. I had someone come to me not long ago and said, Dan, I know you've got a heart for people in the gay community who are struggling. For men and women with same-sex attraction who want out of the lifestyle. And I've never had that struggle. That's not it. But you know what? I can't stop thinking about it. Let me know when we launch a ministry because I want to get involved. I want to be on the front lines. I don't know what God's going to... It may be student ministry. It may be college. It may be children. We desperately need... I mean, there's so many things. It may be in your office, in your dorm, on your high school campus. I had one player one time who came to me and said, Dan, I want to reach my football team for Christ. I want every guy on my team that I play with to hear the gospel before I graduate. I'm thinking, you dress out about 80 guys. (laughs) He did it. You know what? I don't know what God's going to do, but I know this, he's going to place a burden on your heart. It's going to change you. It's a very practical series. Here's your homework. I want you to begin to pray about what is the vision that God's given you. Some may be small. A vision for your parents to hear the gospel. Or for your whole high school to hear it. To start a Bible study or ministry on your campus, on on your floor. Let's say you were looking for a condo to rent. And you walked into a condo and you kind of liked the location. It was perfect to where you work. And you thought, this is going to be great. But when you, when you went in, uh, it was just really outdated colors and the floor was dirty and stained and not so nice and the appliances were really old. And as you looked around and you thought, oh, that's a shame. This is... No. And what if you're about to walk out and you're gonna you're gonna give up on that? But the owner said, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you something. A guy's coming tomorrow to repaint these walls, and you can choose the color. Fresh paint. We're putting down new flooring. We're getting all new appliances." We're doing that to all the units. Let me walk you to a condo next door where we've already done this because I just want you to see an example of how this is about to look. It's going to be beautiful. You see, something you thought, no, I really don't want to do. All of a sudden, you're interested again because the vision of the future can change how you look at the condo now. You see, you start seeing past all those things to what could be. When God gives you a vision, you're going to look past the impossibility of it and your circumstances right now to give you 
a glimpse of the future, of what it could be and what it will be, the vision. So your homework assignment is to begin to seek God for his vision and write it down. And once you write it down, I want you to bring that back next week tell you what to do next with the vision. Let's stand. Let me pray for you as you begin to pursue that. Father, I thank you for Nehemiah. I thank you for his example, for the anointing that you put on his life, what you did through him, the tremendous difference that you made. Father, I pray that you would do something like that in each one of us that you would give us a vision or that you would refresh, renew a vision that maybe we had at one time and we gave up on. I pray this this week would be different from last week and the week before because we're going to go forward with a vision. I pray you'd put a burden on our heart, something in us that we can't escape that you would do great things as you unfold this map in front of us and overcome the problems and meet our needs. And that gap gets smaller as you fulfill the vision. We will be amazed and you will receive glory. And some beautiful things are going to happen in the lives of people around us. And we thank you for it in advance, right now, in Jesus' name.